Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. So you're going to note, and uh, this is kind of the focus of our episode here, there are many different ways in order to derail a church, and that is a local congregation comprised of the body of Christ, and the devil is waging war against the church, sends in false apostles, false prophets, false teachers, and there are many different ways in which a false teacher can operate. One of the ways in which a false teacher can operate is by not preaching the word. Uh, let's see, the devil can deceive and the devil can distract. Let, let me kind of point it to you this way. Uh, hang on a second here. I'll pull up the scriptures. You'll note we're starting with the Bible first. Uh, here, as Paul's getting ready to finish his course, he's going to be martyred very shortly after finishing this letter, have a, a Roman soldier take his head off of his shoulders. Uh, but what, is, what does the Apostle Paul say to young Pastor Timothy? Well, he tells him to preach the word. Now, let me back up in the context, and, uh, and you'll see what, what's going on here. You, however, he says to young Pastor Timothy, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, that's a promise. While evil people and imposters, what will happen with them? They will go on from bad to worse. Yeah, we've noted that on this uh, channel before. Uh, they will be deceiving and being deceived. Mm -hmm. But as for you, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then watch this. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Ah, all right. So he's pointing us to the scriptures, to the Bible, right? And they are going, it's profitable for teaching, correcting, reproof, training in righteousness so the man of God may be complete for every, every good work. So then he says to young Pastor Timothy, so I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom, what are we supposed to be doing? Preach the word. See, think of it this way, is that if the job of a pastor is to, what, preach the word, every Sunday that goes by that he is not doing that, he's, being, he's in disobedience to this command. And we're going to note that in many churches, it's rare, rare nowadays, really rare for them to hear the word of God taught in any meaningful, substantive clear and accurate way at all. You know, the word of God shows up as, as a tiny little sprinkling. So we're going to give, we're going to do a self-help motivational speech with just a sprinkling of Bible on it. You know, so it's a Bible flavored self-help speech. That's what happens in so many churches nowadays. But what, what's a real pastor supposed to be doing? Preaching the word. I mean, really Preaching the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and doctrine. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves 
teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Christ says it this way in the Great Commission. By the way, the Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. You know, thank you, Jesus. We appreciate your input, but you know, but but then again, we we'll decide what happens in 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 the church, not you. You you. I mean, granted, you are the Alpha and the Omega and the Lord of all, but you you see, you got to recognize the autonomy of our congregation. We have the right to say what happens here and what doesn't happen in our church. Do you really now? No, Christ says this: All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He calls the shots in the church and in the world, by the way. Go, therefore. What's the church to be busy doing? Make disciples. Disciples are learners. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And where are we going to find that? Only in the scriptures. Isn't any wonder that Paul says, preach the word. See, the Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. We are to be preaching the word. That's, that means that every Sunday, the pastor should be saying, follow along with me as we take a look in this particular text, or reads it ahead of time. Those are, there's many different options. You should be able to open up a Bible and see where the pastor's at as he unfolds and preaches and helps you to rightly understand and divide the word of God so that you are hearing God. Because Christ says, teach him to observe all that I've commanded you, and that's only found in the Bible. That's why pastors are to what? Preach the word. Well, deception comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes, including the Randy Feldschau size and shape. And uh, we're heading over to One City Church. And uh, you, when I first previewed this sermon, I was scratching my head going, what on earth is this man talking about? Because this has nothing to do with anything related to any biblical text rightly handled. Listen to the name of the message is When Presence walks into the room. And by the way, what he ends up doing here is blasphemous. And I'll explain why in a minute. But uh, let's let Randy Feldshall kind of spin this out, shall we? We understand here at One City Church the power of presence. Presence is powerful. What's that? The power of presence? Whether you're referring to the presence of God or the presence of a true leader, especially those that are anointed. Anointed. By the way, the Greek word for anointed, Christos, false Christ. Christ warns us about them, all right? The power of presence. We know the power of presence. What are you? He should be saying, let's open up our Bibles to such and such a page as we read here. And if this was really a biblical doctrine, he'd just be able to tease it out from a biblical text rightly handled. But presence is powerful. It has the ability to create connectivity, to step into a room and to connect people together, to build. Presence has a power to create connectivity. What biblical text says this? Notice he's not preaching the word. I don't know what this is. This is a Bible flavored message. Team. It has the ability to inspire people to reach higher and to go further than they ever would have alone. Presence has the ability to shift the moment. Grab your prophecy bingo cards. Yeah, there's a shifting going on here. To shift organizations, institutions, communities, a church, a nation. Leadership has the ability to bring direction. What people are longing for today is leadership. Leadership that will give them direction. Not managers of ideals and projects, but true leaders that can stand up and say... 
Are you the chairman of a board or are you a pastor? What is this? This is the way. Let's walk in it. Power, excuse me, presence is powerful. Presence can be transformative. It can transform people's lives. How many of us here in this room would it... Yeah, by the way, you want to talk about presence. Christ says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching to them to observe all I've commanded you. Oh, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So you want to talk about presence? Christ is present with his saints all the way until his return. And then he's present with them in the new earth. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. You want to talk about presence? That's not what he's talking about. I don't know what he's going on about, but okay. That, that our life was transformed by some leader, some man, some woman that that inspired us and challenged us and equipped us and mentored us and presence leaders can be transformative now i'm going to point this out if your sermon can be preached in such a way that it would it wouldn't offend anybody in a different religion like you know you think of like judaism or, or maybe even if 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 the sermon you're preaching could be delivered in a Masonic Lodge, at, you know, which, by the way, they have people from all kinds of different religions in the Masonic Lodge, and they could say, mm, yeah, that, that's a great message there, guy. You're, you're doing it wrong, okay? You're doing it wrong. It is uh, amazing to watch as leaders can, uh, and sometimes on the negative side, leaders can bring people underneath a spell. We see that, how that men and women can stand before a group of people and with their presence, they can bring people underneath a spell and lead them in the wrong direction. Yeah, like what he's doing right here, right now in this actual service. Uh, presence can transform circumstances. It can shift the moment. We. <laughs> he's not saying anything. See that with Jesus again and again. You see that Jesus shifted a moment? What? As he walked into a situation and his very presence would transform the circumstances. What are you getting on? What text are you preaching from again? You're supposed to be preaching the word. Blinded eyes were open and men saw. The dead were raised. The broken hearts were healed. Jesus had the ability to change circumstances. Pre <laughs> Hang on a second here. Um, <laughs> John chapter 20 the end of John chapter 20, we learn a thing or two about Jesus's uh, miracles and why they were there. What was their purpose? See, John puts it this way, John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. They're not written in this book. But these ones, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God. And by believing you might have life in his name. There is life in no other name. There is salvation in no one else except for Jesus. So, hmm. I don't know what he's going on about, but okay, let's keep going. This can yeah. shift the atmosphere. Yeah. I've watched this. What? This is, this, these are just empty prophecy bingo platitudes? Oh, the dead were raised. The broken hearts were healed. Jesus had the ability to change circumstances. Presence can shift the atmosphere. Yeah. I've watched this men and women would step into a <laughs> shift atmosphere step into prophecy bingo words 
I think he went to our Prophecy Bingo card generator and just randomly put a card together and decided he was going to create a sermon from it. Moment, and they can either lift the atmosphere or they can bring it down. It's amazing, just amazing to me, the power of, of leadership and the power of presence. What about the power of Christ or the power of the gospel? You want to talk about power? I mean, you know, let's, I mean, it's, it's kind of dueling power passages, shall we? Uh, Romans chapter one. Yeah, here's what he says. Um, uh, yeah, this is a wonder. I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel, the good news. Christ died for our sins was buried and raised again on the third day for a justification. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Mm. Want to talk about power? You're going to yeah, you're going to preach that, you know, the gospel. And you have to know this, that presence isn't just something you know as much as it is something you experience. You experience, experience presence. What are you talking about? Experience the presence of God. You experience the presence of true leaders. Transformational presence. Transformation is a prophecy bingo word. Can produce extraordinary outcomes. It's amazing, the power of presence, the transformative power of presence. Presence is therapeutic. Now, we've said this before. What is he talking about? This, this, he ain't preaching the word, all right? So this is a prime example of, uh, you know, for a time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. They obviously don't endure it there at One City Church. Because the thing that they've they're, they're, they they want is what the, is what they're getting. They have itching ears. They have chosen Randy Feldshaw to suit their own passions, and they're they've turned away from listening to the truth. They've wandered off into myths, myths about oh, presence shifting the atmosphere and being transformational and be experiential and stuff. Or that. Uh, by truly being present with patients, nurses now know that they can bring true comfort and care. They're, they call this therapeutic presence, and they're teaching this in hospitals now to nurses that... Well, that's great for the nurses in the hospitals. This has nothing to do with what you're supposed to be doing right now. You're supposed to be preaching the word. When they go into a room, they go into that room and they're encouraged to be there, not only in their, their physical presence, but their emotional, their mental, and their spiritual presence. How does one leave their emotional presence when they're present in a room? Well, I'm sorry. I got to go back to the car. I left it in the boot, man. I'll go, I'll go grab that. For, you know, I'm sorry I was present without that. They talk, they talk about therapeutic presence, and we've preached this here. How that... Why? Why did you preach that there? The presence of God is therapeutic. That you can be in a service like this, and the glory of God can come into the room, and, and it's therapeutic. It brings... We're off in fairy tale land. Healing to us spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It brings healing to people. It's a therapeutic presence. You see, there have been life-changing moments created by a life-changing presence. That sentence doesn't mean anything. There have been life-changing moments created by a life-changing presence. Uh-huh. 
Do you believe that purple is faster than blue? You're just wondering. You know? <sighs> yes. Life changing. <laughs> the amen corner of the. You know, oh! Whoa! He didn't say anything. The emperor has no clothes. He's walking around naked. Now, it's natural that our minds would drift towards the presence of God. And, and that's true, and that's included in this, but I also, want your, I also want you to let your mind drift towards the presence of men and women. I'm going to let my mind just, you know, drift. We're, we're, we're drifting now. Okay. Life-changing moments. And, and see, the thing, they're, they're sitting there going, oh, this is just so, why? Because, oh, he sounds so sincere. Oh, let me tell you, life-changing presence. Uh, it, it's therapeutic, man. I'm telling you. It'll cause a shifting in the atmosphere. Excuse me while I pass a kidney stone. Mm -mm. Okay, it, it, this is nuts, man. It can come out of life-changing presence. Men and women that take their place and that truly bring about a difference and a change. Yes. There's a song that we sing by William McDowell called When You Walk Into the Room. And it said in this song more than once, when you walk into the room, everything changes. Everything changes. Uh, uh, what does that mean? When God walks into a room, everything changes. It sounds like the setup for a joke, you know. There was an attorney, there was, uh, you know, a, <laughs> a priest and a rabbi, and then God walked into the room. Yeah, I don't know how the rest of the joke goes, but okay. But when Jesus, as a man, walked into the room, everything changed also. <laughs> it's so Clintonian, if you just kind of like bite your lower lip. Yeah, you know, when Jesus walks into a room, you know, like everything's changing. Yeah. I can feel it. It's, there's a shift going on in the atmosphere. Uh-huh. Never underestimate the power of presence. Yes. This doesn't mean anything. Which biblical text are we looking at here? We're not yet. If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 20. All right, we just happened to be there earlier. Let me see if I did. I keep it open. You know, John. I probably just didn't. You know, no. I better come back to it. All right, John chapter twenty. All right, now we're gonna take a look at this great passage. John chapter. Is this about how you know when presence walks into a room, changes everything? You know, <laughs> it's not what this is about. Okay, let me kind of explain something here. All right. Jesus in John chapter 20 rises from the dead, physically, bodily, from the dead. You, you see, when the gospel of John chapter 19 ends, Joseph of Arimathea is placed the body of Christ. He had just been crucified. I mean, it's the biggest crime ever committed in humanity. The one righteous man who ever walked among us, our God, showed up and we killed him. Yeah. But uh, so Jesus, you know, in fact, let's back up and you know, kind of see what's going on here. All right. So, yeah, we'll go back into just a little bit. So when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, John 19, 23, why was Jesus crucified? Isaiah makes it clear in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for your transgressions, for mine. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that was upon him is the thing that brings us peace with God. By his stripes, we're healed of our sin sickness, forgiven and pardoned. See, the one righteous human being, the one sinless human being, he died in your place. See, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. Tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, and they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures. They divided my garments among, among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That, By the way, that's from Psalm 22. Yeah, King David prophesied about Christ's crucifixion. It's so stark. So the soldiers, uh, they did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. You'll note that even when Christ is dying, he still is caring for his mother. So he puts her in the custodial care of John, the disciple, who will be his apostle. And from that hour, this disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And Jesus, when he had received the sour wine, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. He bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. And since it was the day of preparation, so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. That spear went up into his uh, pericardium, you know, the, the sack around his heart. And already, you know, the body was, you know, dead and, and the blood was coagulating. And out came, out of his side, water and blood. He who saw it, this is John, he, he is born witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. He's telling you so that you believe in Jesus. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. The Old Testament's about Christ. Not one of his bones will be broken. Jesus is our Passover lamb slain for us. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Christ, of Jesus, bounded in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And that's the end. Christ's body lays in the grave now until the third day. Now on the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, she shows up 
and what, what, what's happened? The, the stone has rolled away. And she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John. Notice how he's writing about himself in the third person. Said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John, oh man, seriously. <laughs> John's a younger man than Peter, so he has to say, yeah, I got there before Peter did. So stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him, went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Maria. Mariam, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So there she's, she's, she's a first eyewitness of Christ's resurrection. And so on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad and they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And eight days later, the next Sunday, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. You are my Lord and my God is what he said. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have not seen me? 
because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have seen me and yet have believed. And then note the thesis statement of the entire gospel. I think of the entire Bible. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these ones are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. So what is John chapter 20 about? The bodily resurrection of Jesus. I mean, it's kind of a big deal because everybody else who's ever died, they're still dead. <laughs> but not Jesus. He rose bodily from the grave. He's alive today. He was crucified for your sins, raised for your justification. It's a big deal that Jesus rose from the dead. The fact that he rose from the dead is proof that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father for the forgiveness of your sins. And he has sent the disciples out to make disciples, to, to proclaim in him the forgiveness of their sins. So if you're going to handle John chapter 20 properly, you're going to have to focus on the bodily resurrection of Christ. Do you think Randy Feldshaw is going to do that? If you think he is, then you're going to be very disappointed. Let's see what he does with this. Let's pick up verses 19 through 23. Uh, you're just going to skip all the important bits. Okay. John chapter 20, the gospel of John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. And note the name of the sermon when presence walks into the room. And we were learning about the therapeutic power of presence. set this story up. This is the day of the resurrection. It's on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. Right, which that's, that's what we call the, 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 the headline here. That's the whole lead of the story. You remember the story the women went to the tomb, found the tomb empty. They found Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, we just read it out. By the way, every, every preacher, you have plenty of time to actually read a text and preach it. said, go tell my disciples that I will meet them in Galilee. You remember the story. The disciples are in this room and the windows are locked and closed and locked, the doors are locked, and, and the disciples are filled with fear because everything has changed and nothing has worked out the way they thought it would. The text says for fear of the Jews. They thought that they were next. They killed Jesus. They thought they were gonna kill them too. Everything has changed. They're uncertain about the future. And so with that understanding, let's pick up verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Yeah, there it is, for fear of the Jews. We're next. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace. Now notice this, peace be with you. Right, that's the peace that comes from the fact that Christ has died for their sins and risen from the grave. When he had said this, he showed them his hands, his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, second time, but a little different, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is labeled in my Bible, the apostles commissioning. They were commissioned in this moment. This was the moment when Jesus said to them, I'm sending you a commissioning. 
of these men on the day of the resurrection. Yeah. Guys, I'm going to change the title on this. Let's title this When Presence Walks Into the Room. Why? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you for, for the anointing that makes the difference. We ask you. The anointing. All right. So we're seven minutes into this. We just heard the biblical text out of context. And you're now saying this is about when presence walks into the room. Speak to us and lead us through the story. And may we pull out the truths that you have for us. And may you speak to all of us. May we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen. amen. Let's talk about this commissioning and what happens when presence walks into the room. The first thing I want you to see in our story is... This is a challenging moment for them. By the way, it wasn't presence that walked into the room. It was the risen Jesus. Now, I'm going to speed this up just a little bit. Yeah, let me take it up just a notch here. They put everything on the table. They've left their business, their families, their reputation, everything to follow after this evangelist from Galilee. And now he's been taken. He's been falsely accused. He's been beaten. He's been crucified. He's, 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 he died. And he was put in a tomb. And the... For your sins and mine, so we can be saved. Guys are really struggling with what's going on. You can imagine what was going on with these gentlemen. And they were afraid. They were afraid what the, the high priest, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, what they did to Jesus, they're going to do to them. Right. And so they've locked things down, and they're hiding. And they're Correct. They're afraid. So the first thing I want to ask you this morning is this. What doors have you closed and are afraid to open? These guys are in this room, and they've... What? <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> I'm backing that up and reducing the speed back to normal. This is called narcissus. You're going to narcissus the resurrection of Jesus. Really? Great. So the first thing I want to ask you this morning is this. What doors have you closed and are afraid to open? These guys are in this room and they've... This is utterly blasphemous. Put it down. Yeah. In verse 19, there are two things that I want you to see, in that, or three things in that one verse. It said, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. You, you are aware this is a historical narrative, and this is not about any doors in your life that you've closed because you're afraid, right? The first day. I want you to mark this as a new beginning. This is a new beginning for them. And you need to hear the statement. The first day of change is difficult because there are no, there are no facts, only faith. There are no facts. This what? is the first day of the week, and it's at evening time, sunset. And we know on the Hebraic calendar, it begins, the new day begins at sunset. God goes from darkness to light, from sunset to sunset. Well, that's true, but that has nothing to do with this resurrection appearance at this point. And so this is the first day of the week. It's at sunset, and they're getting ready to go into a new day, a new season of their life and their ministry. New season, prophecy bingo word. It's the time of change, and things are different. And change is hard. Change is hard. This isn't about change. This is about the fact that Jesus bodily rose from the grave. No one else has done that. Because when you're going into a new season, when you're going into a new direction, when you're going into change, you have no facts to lean on. You only have faith. So notice, he's now taken the historical account of Christ rising from the dead and made it an allegory about change in your life and how to cope with it. It's like... He said to Israel when they were going in the promised land, make sure you follow my presence because you've never been this way before. When you take on something new, you've never been that way before. And so there are no facts, 
There's only faith. And that's what I want you to see with these men. So no, this is total distraction. He's not rightly handling the word of God at all. He's totally taking the emphasis off of Christ's resurrection and made this into an allegorical story about learning how to cope with change in your life. Because after all, everything changes when presence walks into the room. Thing Notice here in verse 19, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. You see, they were in this upper room with the door shut because they were afraid and they were trying to shut out the world. They were trying to shut out what was happening all around them. What are you trying to shut out that God wants you to open up to? But notice this, the door you close out of fear, you're going to have to now open out of faith. They didn't even open the door. Jesus just appeared in their midst. What are you talking about? And we're off to the races. And you can see that this, there's no way to recover this sermon. He's not preaching the word. He's not doing what Christ has commanded. That Sunday, they didn't hear God's word rightly taught at all. A text dealing with one of the most important, critical passages in all of Scripture, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, written by an eyewitness, the Apostle John, who was there with Peter when Peter put his, went into the tomb, was there. He saw the empty tomb himself and described it from his own eyewitness account. Are we hearing this? No. We're just hearing a weird... Does it, if, the way he's preaching it, do you even need Jesus to actually have bodily risen from the grave? I mean, we're taking the resurrection now and turning it into something like Aesop's fable. So the moral of the story is learning how to deal with change in your life. Blasphemous. I think you get the point. And here's the thing. This happens Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday at that church. And it's happening in a lot of churches. It might even be happening at yours. And if this is what your pastor's doing, you need to sit him down and say, Pastor, you're, you're disobeying God. God has commanded you to preach the word. We need to be hearing it every Sunday. You need to repent. Yeah, think about it. So hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below in the description. And until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.